Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here with part two of our pre-PGA golf championship matchup. Caddyshack versus Happy Gilmore in full swing. And we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're joined again today by our friend from the Sport Fire podcast, Mr. Adam Weinrib. Also starting next week is our summer of 1984 series, starting off with Huey Lewis and the News Sports versus Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on your podcast app right now so that you are sure not to miss it. And be sure and stay around for the end of this episode where we determine which of these two movies is the best. Okay, so back to Caddyshack. When they decide to start making the movie, the studio wants them to work in California. They say, eh, that's a little close for us. Let's go to Florida, sunny Florida. Right. And so they went to a ton of different golf courses, but they couldn't find the right feel. One of the things, it was just north of the Fort Lauderdale airport. Right. Which they scouted the location on the weekends, and so not a lot of planes going on. During the shoot, they had constant airplanes going overhead. And so they had John Murray, who's Bill Murray's brother, who is actually the star of Moving Violations, if you've ever seen that movie. But he was in charge of standing out in the middle of the fairway and saying, all right, guys, no planes. Then they could shoot <laughs> and uh, and keep going like that. But in 1979, in Florida, just north of Miami, is there a more centrally located place to be if you are a cocaine user. No, 1979, you can't ask for a better spot to be if you're going to do copious amounts of cocaine. And so that is what they did. I've heard that it was a part of the budget. You know, we talked about with Aerosmith in our Aerosmith episode that the recording part of the budget was the cocaine money. And I've heard that that was the way it was with this one as well. But the atmosphere at all times around this movie was nonstop party. Yeah. And the only two guys who didn't take part in the debauchery were Harold Ramis and Ted Knight. Yes. Rodney Dangerfield was full on involved <laughs> with all the young folks. Rodney yeah, Dangerfield. You sell a kilo, you get a free bowl of soup. <laughs> <laughs> When they met Rodney Dangerfield, they brought him in to talk about, hey, we think you can do this part of Al Shervick. And he came into the office to discuss this part. When he sat down, he lined up like three lines and he went, all right, let's talk about the part. Like did coke on the desk of the producer. He's Rodney freaking Dangerfield, And it man. was 1979, you know? Yeah, this, this is a more open-minded time, I guess. <laughs> Before we get going, I just want to point something out. We have been talking to each other now for a couple of years, face to face. And one of the reasons that I can do that is because you don't have nose hair. <laughs> have you been talking to people and like you can't even concentrate on what they're saying because of their nose hair? Absolutely. They like talk to you. They like dangle. <laughs> it dangles. Yes, it wiggles. It's it's a total distraction. Absolutely. And so let me let me say, if you are one of those guys, we have a product that is supporting the podcast that you need to check out. It's called the Weed Whacker and it is from Manscaped. 
it is an amazing product. It trims your nose hair. It's not embarrassing. You just stick it up there. It takes care of it. You're not going to look at people and bother them. Right. And I'm one of those guys who's self-conscious about my nose hair. So somebody that you're going to see me and I'm going to be like yanking them out and wincing in pain. <laughs> Don't do that. There is a special thing that they make. And they've also just released, in addition to the Weed Whacker, they have just released something called the Lawnmower. If you have other areas of your body that you're looking to trim up. And I'd like to point out that a giraffe is easier to see in the plains than it is in the forest. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yes. Yes, it is. So, and it's very, it's very good around sensitive areas, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they have also an entire shave kit called the Ultra Smooth Package. Package. <laughs> <laughs> you get the idea. So, Who it, doesn't want their package ultra smooth? Right, right. So... Don't forget to go to manscaped.com and use the promo code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Whack it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So interestingly, I guess we can kind of talk about this right now, but during production, the golf course was very easy to work with. They were very accommodating. They had a little, uh, like an apartment complex kind of off for the, for the actors. And that's where the constant partying was, yeah. except for Ted Knight rented his own house a couple of miles away because he didn't want to be a Around part of that. People. Yes. Yeah. Um, it turns out Ted Knight is probably as straight laced as judge Schmales is like it is. And he had a real antagonistic relationship with Rodney Dangerfield that came across pretty clearly in their scenes together. Like it was a genuine dislike. I mean, he was under his skin. Yeah. So Rodney Dangerfield's out there doing a bit, doing it different every time. And Ted Knight is a script actor, right? He's like, you know, we we say what's on the script. We don't say other stuff. And so it was really the, the slobs versus the snobs going on behind the scenes as well. The man's a menace. <laughs> hey, Whitey, where's your hat? <laughs> 50 bucks, you slice into the woods. <laughs> I mean, when you've got like you've gone from Mary Tyler Moore to like a guy hoisting a boombox out of his bag and like playing <laughs> it on the course, then you've gone from like comedy queen, like you talk about straight lace, like Ted Knight, Mary Tyler Moore, Matt yeah. in Heaven, and then Rodney. Yeah, I mean, craggy to have the confidence to. I mean, you were talking about how he's never been in a movie before, and yet he still has the confidence in the pitch meeting to be like doing lines of coke, like. I guess he's built different and and you can tell throughout the entire film. He does an amazing job. I heard Harold Ramis talk about how the kind of layout of Caddyshack is like a Marx Brothers movie. I I thought this was super interesting. So he sees Caddyshack as a Marx Brothers movie. You have uh, Groucho Marx and Rodney Dangerfield, right? Al Shervick, Groucho Marx. Then you have Chico Marx and Ty Webb, which is Chevy Chase's character. And then Harpo Marx is Bill Murray, Carl Spackler. For whatever reason, that just really stuck with me. I thought that was really interesting. And Carl Marx is Sandy, the groundskeeper. No, I'm sorry. That was a bad political <laughs> joke. I apologize for Carl, bad I <laughs> want you to kill every golfer on the course. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sandy, but we kill all the golfers. <laughs> lock us up and throw away the key. <laughs> You know, one of the interesting things I think we need to talk about is how this movie came together. And that's that's really the big story here, I think. Yeah. The story of Caddyshack was originally supposed to be the three-way love triangle between Danny, Maggie, and Denunzio. Where's Lacey Underalls coming in this? Lacey Underalls is, you know, she's around. Okay. 
but she's a minor character, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And as they started filming this, Harold Ramis is like, hey, Chevy, you're funny. Keep going. Improv. Do stuff. Yeah. Hey, Bill Murray, you're funny. Do stuff. Rodney Dangerfield, you're hilarious. Keep going. And those parts grew. And so something had to shrink and they de-emphasized that love triangle to where, I mean, it's just kind of this whirlwind story. Yeah. Danny wins the tournament. He also gets the scholarship. We don't get any resolution we with Danny. We don't care. We don't care. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We don't the care. original ending, I think they actually filmed this. Danny was at the airport and he was supposed to either get on an airplane to go to college or there was a... So like as he's getting ready to get on the airport to go to college, a pretty girl walks by and gets on an airplane going to the Bahamas. And he does the old U-turn and gets on the airplane to go into the Bahamas. Or in the words of Jean-Paul Sartre, au revoir, go fair. <laughs> au revoir, go fair. But instead, we get the wrap-up of Ronnie Dangerfield. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. Yeah. Yeah. So so they put this giant four-hour movie together. They take it back to the studio and they look at it and go, this is nonsense. This doesn't make any sense at all. You got to get rid of this. You got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of this. You got to get rid of that. And so all of the parts that are getting cut are all of those caddy parts, the young actor parts, because the old comedians are doing such an incredible job. I mean, if you think about the most memorable lines from this movie, you've obviously got Bill Murray, who didn't have any lines. He just made up all of his stuff. And you've got Rodney Dangerfield and you got Ted Knight. Those are the three guys who have the most funny bits in this whole movie. And so then they've cut out all the non-funny bits. They've got all these kind of vignettes, you know, with Chevy and, and, and Billy and all of these guys. And they're like, how do we string all this thing together? And it's John Peters, the producer who goes, Hey, we had that gopher. Maybe we can use the gopher as kind of a through line to connect all of these stories. And they're like, we shot three scenes with a gopher. How are we going to do that? So they're like, we're going to make another gopher and we're going to shoot more stuff. And so who do they call to make them a gopher? John Dykstra, the guy who does Star Wars. Right. (laughs) Adam, thoughts on the gopher? I'm glad that you said that because if you hadn't given me the origins, I wanted to go in cold. I was like, I don't know anything about the gopher like or or how it showed up or when it arrived. I was going to ask, was that a script note? Because like knowing how comedians work, knowing how they operate, I it just doesn't feel like it's in the same voice of the lampoon guys to be like, we got a big like we got a big old crazy like coming off animal house. Let's put an adorable little gopher that will later inspire the movie Ice Age in this flick. Like it just it feels <laughs> out of voice. It feels like it's a different thing entirely. So I was gonna bet that it was, and I'm glad that you told me that. I wanted to fly blind and I was rewarded for it. Sweet. <laughs> That's why we're here. Listen. Doug Kinney and Harold Ramis hated the gopher. Oh, right. Yeah. Doug Kinney was getting more and more frustrated at how things were going. But when ultimately they said, we want the gopher to be a, a bigger part of this, he he quit. He just was like, you I'm guys out. have ruined my movie. And he had gotten really bad into drinking and cocaine use at this time. And so Chevy Chase says, hey, man, I got some friends in Hawaii. Let me fly you out there, give you time to kind of get your mind straight, get off the drugs, you know, because we're not, you know, we're just flying drugs into Hawaii. Eh, Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Chevy Chase smuggled in cocaine in tennis balls. Yeah. But yeah, asking a drug addict to take another drug addict on vacation and to dry out. Yeah. Not a good plan. So Chevy has to go back. Yep. Doug Kinney's girlfriend comes out to be with him for a little while, and then she has to leave. And then 
I think it's Chevy's supposed to be coming back to see him, right? He calls Chevy, talks to him on the phone, supposed to be coming back to see him. He's due out in a couple of days. And then Doug Kenny disappears. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't find him. Yeah. For three days. Yeah. They find him at the base of a cliff where he either A, jumped, B, slipped, or C, as Harold Ramis said, slipped looking for a place to jump. (laughs) (laughs) But tragically, we lost Doug Kinney way too early. He did not survive long enough to see Caddyshack appreciated as this cultural icon, which is, that's really the sad part. That's a tragedy for sure. It is. But we'll lay the seed now. This movie was not a success whenever it first came out. And as we mentioned, there were another couple of movies that had come out that when Doug Kinney saw them, he said, my movie will fail. It will fail. Those movies are The Blues Brothers yeah. and Airplane. Right. So let's talk about that for a minute. What do you think about those those movies, Adam? Yeah, Air- Airplane's another one of mine. Um, if, I, if I'm going to power rank those two, I-, I don't know if I ever connected with The Blues Brothers necessarily. I don't know if they resonated with me so much. The Blues Brothers are sort of a legend your parents tell you about what made Saturday Night Live. They're like, they were so funny. And you're like, what was funny about them? And they're like, the guys just really wanted to sing. It's like, well, that's <laughs> they sound talented. <laughs> um, and so the movie always felt like sort of a, you know, a solid B, B minus for me. But Airplane was definitely one of my childhood favorites. It was the alternative I watched to Kentucky Fried Movie. Um, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you want to talk about a sports crossover, is, uh, <sighs> I mean, that's like a perfectly conceived bit beginning to end that develops and grows as that movie goes on. But yeah, that that's a movie that sort of, I mean, above all other movies, that one taught me that you can cram everything you want to into an hour and a half script. And obviously the studio will tell you what gets into the final cut, but you really can be a writer who says, I want to write constant jokes. Can I do that? Yes, you can. Right. Um, So it it set an expectation high. And it's funny that you mentioned it in comparison to Caddyshack and sort of sending Doug Kenny spiraling a little bit because there are more jokes per minute in Airplane for sure. And and sort of, I would have expected a Lampoon writer to write Airplane instead. It's much more of a just satire hurricane than Caddyshack, yeah. which really is like a let's let characters loose. And much of the greatest stuff is unscripted. You know, the story that I heard, Doug Kinney was angry at how Caddyshack was going. What they thought was their main threat that summer was the Blues Brothers. When that course was John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and John Landis, John Landis who had uh, directed Animal House. Right. And so it was kind of like this split from Animal House, like half of the guys went to Caddyshack, half of them went to Blues Brothers. And that was sort of what they saw as their competition. He went to see a movie before the release of Caddyshack. And when he saw Airplane, he was like, man, we're sunk. We're we're toast. He was the only guy in the theater not dying laughing. Okay. So we talked about Bill Murray improving all of his lines. Harold Ramis would give him something just an outline, and he would go with it. And so at this time, Harold Ramis was running a lot, like doing a lot of long-distance runs. Yeah. And so whenever he was at the end of a race or the end of a run and he felt like he was out of gas, he would do a little sports announcer to himself in his head, like, here comes Harold Ramis down the stretch. He's got to huff it out for these last few yards, you know. And so he tells Bill Murray – this is the idea that I have for this bit is this kind of in your head. Bill Murray's like, say no more. I got it. And that's where you get the Cinderella story. This crowd has gone deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. A former greenskeeper now about to become the master's champion. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. Best bit in the movie. One take. One take. One take. Totally improv 
Bill Murray said right before they shot, he's like, all I need is a weed whacker and four rows of mums. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the baby Ruth for a second. Yeah. Why not? We, we got, we've gotten this far. <laughs> so the, the caddies themselves lost out on a lot of footage, obviously, right? They've become a very small part of the story. But one of the key components that the caddies are present in is the pool scene. Yes. It was the first scene of the shoot, I believe, where uh-huh. Cindy Morgan had to walk in, uh-huh. dazzle everybody, yeah. climb to the top of the high board and reportedly dive, although she she's legally blind. She couldn't see anything. She didn't have her contacts in, so she couldn't jump. She also can't swim. <laughs> All she had to do is run to the edge and spring, and then they yeah. cut to another diver who looks nothing like her. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, so the thing that cracks me up that kind of slides by a lot of people, yeah. the sign that it says Caddy Day at the pool. What? One to one fifteen. <laughs> you get fifteen minutes in the pool, and then you have this ridiculous synchronized swimming bit that doesn't make any sense at all. The water ballet, yeah. Uh, why? Harold Ramis is like, you know, it'd be funny. Water ballet. <laughs> the guys who are in the part are like, we're underwater. We couldn't hear him yell, "Cut!" We're down there dying <laughs> for breath. We don't know what's going on. Yeah, they only had 15 minutes, and they used what 12 of them to do this Busby Berkeley thing. <laughs> not a, not an efficient use of time. But the real thing that I want to talk about, yeah. Brian Doyle Murray says this actually happened while he was in high school. Yeah. Okay. So the scene is you have a girl caddy on the edge of the pool. I can't remember her name, but she's like breaking out a baby Ruth bar. But she goes to hand it to her friend. Her friend takes it and throws it in the pool. So you got the floating baby Ruth bar and they have the Jaws theme. (laughs) Spalding, no. (laughs) And then, of course, they drain the pool and I want it scrubbed, sterilized and disinfected. And uh, Bill Murray picks it up and eats it. It's no big deal. Right. That's the the, the huge punchline. But I was going to ask you, Adam. So I was talking to Dee about this. Caddyshack is a movie, I think, that's passed down generationally. So like my dad found it super funny based on those Saturday night live guys. As a kid, I'm seven years old. I'm watching it. I think it's hilarious because you have somebody eating their boogers and you have a gopher dancing gopher and a dancing gopher. Right. But as I grew, I appreciated the comedy. You just kind of move up the ladder. Right. Thoughts on that? Yeah. It's funny. The first time I saw it was around whenever the AFI released their list of the top 100 comedies. So I think I was, 12 or 13 and i sort of was like all right my goal i'm gonna run down this whole list i'm gonna do them all like and that list is weird like there's some non-comedies there like harold and maude is like a top 20 ish or whatever but i had no context so i'm just like all right i'm gonna do them all like as many as i can my favorite movies at the time were airplane space balls like young frankenstein which was on the list, but most of these are not the kind of movies that the AFI is like, oh, huh, yes, yeah, a top 10 comedy of all time. Right. So it was so highly ranked that I think I was expecting more of that. And when it was like, I don't know, I'm 12. And I was like, it was so it's so scenic. The plot is a little loose. Um, it relies on you, you know, falling for each of these individual actors. And I was an SNL fan, but like I said, late 80s, early 90s, not so much the oldest stuff. So I was slightly disappointed the first time I saw it only because I think I was expecting zaniness, but like within the confines of satire. And there was just nothing for me to grasp onto. It just felt like it was very slapstick and it's very, it's like, let Bill do his thing. Let Chevy do his thing. Like, and I think I wasn't necessarily ready for it. The rewatch was really satisfying of this movie. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, it's, it's an all time classic for a reason, but once you become more acquainted with these actors, it's like, 
great. An hour and a half with these hilarious people. Like, right. Your expectations are different. You know, I watched it one time. It was summer. I'm palling around with some older kids in my neighborhood and like my next door neighbor and then his sister and, you know, her friend. And and I'm like the young kid. I'm probably 14 and they're 16, 17, 18. They're like, well, let's watch a movie tonight. I'm like, great. Have you guys ever seen Caddyshack? They're like, no. I'm like, oh, it's super funny. Let's watch it. And when I showed it, it bombed. Like nobody thought it was funny. So I, I do kind of agree with you. It does take some it's a, kind like of an acquired taste. Wine. Yeah. You got to. That yeah, is you the gotta. worst feeling. That is the worst feeling in the world, though. Recommending a movie to slightly <laughs> older kids really and is. having them be like, I did not like that at all. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Me neither. It's a joke. Recommendation. <laughs> you're like, you're waiting for them to laugh at your favorite bits and they're just not doing it. And you're like, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, we can do anything else. We can play checkers. Like, yeah, that plenty growing <laughs> yeah up. that was that was a rough night. You get nothing and like it. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine, it's Dale Selby, who's one of our Patreon guys and super appreciate Dale. I texted with him and I said, hey, we're going to do Caddyshack and Happy Gilmore. And he just started firing back quotes from Caddyshack, right? Yeah. 50 bucks, you slice in the woods. Kill all the golfers, right? right. Duty, all this stuff. <laughs> we're just back and forth. And I'm texting him and he's texting me. It became apparent that Happy Gilmore, although funny, doesn't elicit that kind of response. So I, I was going to save this for, for final judgment time, but I'll go ahead. I'll just go ahead and say it now. Caddyshack is funny because of lines that are memorable. Yes. Happy Gilmore is funny because lines that are funny. In Happy Gilmore, you watch it for the first time, you're going to be laughing. Yes. But you probably won't remember as many of the lines. Right. Caddyshack, you you may not like it your first time. It may be the fifth time before you like kind of get it, but those lines will stay with you forever. Yes. There, even the little Are you going to eat your fat? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we quote a, a movie more than we quote Caddyshack in my household. If there's a loud noise in the house, something, you know, I've got five kids. So that happens pretty frequently. My wife will go, that must be the tea. <laughs> <laughs> I, every time I walk into a restaurant, I'm like, I'm like I want a hamburger, no a cheeseburger. <laughs> even just the little lines that Ted Knight delivers that aren't even really funny lines. Spalding, get your foot off Spalding, the boat. Spalding, get your foot off the boat, right? <laughs> and then the stupid poem that he gives. It's the delivery. It's the delivery. It, Ted Knight's delivery awesome. is incredible. He's awesome. Okay, let's bump on over to Happy Gilmore. Flip back to Happy Gilmore. We don't have the cocaine-laden parties going on with Happy Gilmore. Or do we? Maybe. I don't know. I don't We don't know. <laughs> you know Lee Trevino, just dip it in there. It was, <laughs> yeah. Hey, by that? the way, Lee Trevino, not proud of this movie. No, he was mad when because he didn't realize how profane it was. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Lee. Lee's a big guy. He, he'll be all right. Yeah. I did find it interesting. They they had uh, Mark Lai, who is the golf consultant who they brought in yeah. to talk about the movie with. And they're like, you know, I think it's going to culminate with him winning the the Masters. We're going to make him win the Masters. He's like, what? No, you can't desecrate the Masters. Right. You can't do that, you know. So just change the color of the coat. So that's why it's gold. Yeah. Gold coat. Yeah. <laughs> I love how in that, that line in the movie where he's like, green jacket, gold jacket, who gives it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, a, there's an interesting point. It, God, I can't. I'm, I'm trying to remember the line, but there's two real pro golfers that he comes up and meets gets introduced by shooter by shooter to these two golfers and he's like hey i heard you hit that something like 400 yard whatever drive like complimenting him yeah and happy gilmore yeah. has this kind of surprise look on his face and it occurred to me on this last watching it's the first time he's ever been complimented for something that he did athletically right 
he's a terrible skater. He's not a good shot. He has a terrible attitude on the hockey rink, which is his whole purpose for being. And it ultimately ends up that he's made fun of by the guys who are who are coaching the team, right? He gets in a fight with the coach. Yes. It and so it's this one moment where all of a sudden he's recognized for something athletically that he's done. That he you've got this magical moment where you go, Oh, he he actually has moved at this moment. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like it. In real life, Adam Sandler is both terrible at hockey and golf. I think he's been practicing golf lately. I uh, saw that shot that he posted on Instagram. Yeah, I think he's been playing and trying to get better. Apparently, his dad was really good. And so he would take them out golfing, he and his friends. And the character of Happy Gilmore is actually based on one of his friends. So Kyle McDonough was this kid who was a hockey player that was friends with Adam Sandler growing up. His dad takes him out to the golf course and he wails the ball, like drives it all the way down the course. And his dad's like, that is amazing. He's like, just, you know, loving all over him. And Adam Sandler is just kind of like over here defeated, like I'm your son, dad. (laughs) And so the idea of a a guy who plays hockey being strong enough to hit a golf ball 400 yards comes from a childhood friend that he had. Now, as it turns out, there's a real golfer like a real guy who's a pro golfer who was a hockey player who ended up winning like i think he won the the long i don't know what do they what do they call the long distance shot like is it the long distance drive contest yep yeah his name is jamie sedlowski and he is one of the most prolific long drivers in the world he's able to hit the ball Almost 450 yards. Wow. The PGA Championship will be going on at the time that this episode comes out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully the uh, little blonde caddy is uh, back for another run. at the <laughs> I want to give a quick shout out to my father-in-law who I just attended his funeral this week. Still the best golfer I've ever been around. The first time I took his daughter on a date, first time I met her parents, they took us to a, a driving range and he was killing the ball. Like, bombing it and i was like dang that's a long ways and he would like thump the club down and be like dang i missed it really good golf okay so can we talk about the movie for a second let's talk about it okay so the first thing that i gotta say is the chinese lady (laughs) chinese japanese i don't know what she was the asian lady who overhears him as he's going through his come back to me you all over (laughs) i want to kiss you all over hysterical yeah you know what breakfast yeah, I, I thought I thought that was brilliant. The fu- I, so that that scene is really funny because she happens to be walking by as he's making a plea for her to come back to his apartment. Uh-huh. This random lady walks by and hears it. She shows up at the door. She's like, here I am. And it cuts to the next like the next morning. That was funny enough for me. And then she walks out of the bedroom, which was like a double punchline for me. So, <laughs> And then I, I started writing down the funny bits in this movie, and I realized that they were one right after the, another so fast that I couldn't keep up with it. So right. I'm just going to say the first funny bits. Okay, You've got that lady. Then you've got, he comes to his grandmother's house, sees them taking out the furniture. And so he runs and jumps on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> guys are trying to move the couch and it slams to the ground i thought that was hysterical and then those guys become a key like the hook in the in the script is 
they're out there trying to shoot a golf ball in his yard. And he's like, you guys need to get back to work. And that's where the bet of, you know, you could hit the ball further. I'd like to see you try it. Right. And then he hits the ball. And of course it's hysterical because it first hits the house. And then when the owner of the house is out there yelling, <laughs> it hits him and he's like, Hey, he shouldn't have been standing out there. And then by the time he hits it the third time, hits the lady who's in the window and she rolls off the roof and I'm, I'm crying. I'm laughing Super so funny. hard. And Super like, funny. Ooh, we better get inside. But that sets the, that sets the stage for the entire rest of the movie is that really hysterical moment. Like you said, funny moments, not necessarily funny lines. There's a death in the intro and then Happy's first golf scene. We've got two people. We don't know how they are. are they <laughs> Never, there are a max, maximum of three deaths, minimum of one in the first five minutes of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. She fell out of a two-story window. She's, uh, she's probably fine. <laughs> I was going to mention that Happy Gilmore golf shot has been imitated at more driving ranges than than anything. Have you tried it? Heck yeah, I've tried oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. Have I you tried it? I haven't tried it. I should. Oh my gosh. I was gonna say. I, so I'm not a golfer, but I've tried it. You know, I've I've played golf, but I, I'm not a golfer. But I have definitely tried that one. Adam, you got any golf in your blood? I got too much golf in my blood to not be a good golfer, but I am not a great golfer. My grandfather, your my grandfather's the best golfer I've ever seen. Holding the one at the age of like 89. My dad Whoa. was the. Yo, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I stole his golf caps growing up. He's got the like Irish little golf hats, oh, but uh, nice. did not did not imbue me with the power of the putter. Um, <laughs> my my dad was the accountant that helped design a course called the bridge. So he learned to golf as an as an adult. Uh, nice. I, could, I guess wow. I could still do that. Um, and then my soon to be father in law. And uh, my brothers-in-law are big golfers. And every time I go there, I'm like, I'm going to sit this one out as well. I have nothing. To <laughs> um, so hopefully someday, I mean, there's too much golf in my general area for me to not be good, but I am not, I'm not good. I decided at some point I'm not playing golf anymore because I don't want to look ridiculous. That's what I thought. I just, I'm less like, I'm so bad. I'm not going to play anymore. I don't want to look ridiculous. And finally we go play at this really nice course that's called top of the rock. That's up in Branson, Missouri, next to Branson, Missouri. Yeah. And it's my guys from work. And they're like, D we have an odd number of people without you. You have to play. We're teams. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I don't have any clubs. They're like, we'll let you use our clubs. I'm like, okay, I'm terrible. They're like, it's okay. It's a scramble. Like, All right, fine. And I go and I play and I don't care. And I shoot the best game of golf I've ever shot in my life. There you go. So there you go. Just go out with nothing to lose and you'll, and you'll shoot a better game. That's right. I'm going to hide in the bushes next time you play and say, jackass. <laughs> 50 bucks, you slice of the woods. I'll tell you who else was bad golfers. Everybody on the cast of Caddy Show. Yeah. Except kind of Michael O'Keefe. Yeah. But mm -hmm. here's the funny thing. So like Chevy Chase, not a great golfer. The guy who played Denunzio, terrible. You can watch his swing and see he's terrible. Rodney Dangerfield, terrible. Michael O'Keefe, who plays Danny Newton, actually has a pretty swing. You can tell he's played before. He's a pretty good athlete. He didn't play golf for the next 25 years because every time he went to the golf course, <laughs> the entire place lined up and watched him drive and putt and play. And yell Noonan at him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I can't handle this pressure. Everybody wants to see me play golf. Yeah. So he gave up the game for 25 years. So he's been in a lot of stuff. Nothing anywhere as big as Caddyshack was. But have you ever seen Sneaky Pete? No. He plays the dirty cop in the first season of Sneaky Pete. And he's a great bad guy, which is really because he's, he's kind of a little goofy 
Yeah. But athletic looking guy for Caddyshack, but he was a great dirty cop in Sneaky Pete. Interesting. I liked him in Caddyshack more than I thought I would. I feel like he's a legendary film, like not good enough actor. I feel right. like when when people are coming up with conversations of like which parts would we recast, he's like top of the mountain. And so I watched with those goggles and I was like, you know what? Not bad. Pretty, pretty good. I think he does a pretty good job. In that first scene that he is in with Chevy Chase, where they're walking down the course, they're improving all of those lines. And he's a kid. Chevy Chase is at this point a veteran improv actor and he's holding his own. You do drugs, Danny, every day. That is a good on the spot. And they have to finish right as they hit the camera. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. One thing end of production that we always talk about is soundtrack, right? Is that where you're going? That's where I was going. Okay. Then you go there. I think we can go there now. (laughs) When they got done with the movie, they're like, we need a song. So who are we going to get to do this? Harold Ramis is like, how about Pink Floyd? Pink Floyd, who had just turned down Flash Gordon. Gordon. Right. And so they call Pink Floyd. They're like, no, not interested. Right. Now, Pink Floyd, the wall came out in 1980 as well, right? They're a little busy. Yeah. So they, why would you make music for the things you're going to compete against? Right. Yeah. So John Peters was a hairdresser before he was a producer, met and started dating Barbara Streisand, who had just done a song with Kenny Loggins. Oh, okay. So John Peters is like, well, I'm kind of friends with Kenny Loggins. Let's call him in here and see what he's got. From Loggins and Messina? From Loggins and Messina. <laughs> so they bring him in. They show him the rough cut. Uh-huh. He comes up and he just brings his guitar and he plays, I'm all right. And thereby becomes the greatest 80s soundtrack singer of all time. I mean, if you if you just look at his big ones, they're the biggest ones of the 80s. You've got Caddyshack, you've got Footloose. got top freaking gun you got two on footloose you got two on top gun You've got Meet Me Halfway from Over the Top. Yeah. What's that? Oh, no, I was just giving Over the Top and mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> over the Top, the world's greatest arm wrestling movie. <laughs> You've got the world's uh, only arm wrestling. <laughs> top, five, top five arm wrestling movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got Nobody's Fool, which is the only good thing from Caddyshack 2. An 
know. I'll bring up Caddyshack too. <laughs> get all choked up. <laughs> but Kenny Loggins shaped the 80s soundtrack. Yeah. Danger Zone. Yep. Footloose. And, and I'm All Right is still a fantastic song. It is. It's, it, it's perfect and, for setting the tone. Right. And so the tone of the whole movie gets set in that he's in his scene, right? He, him and the gopher. Like it's his music, the gopher going through the golf course and then popping out and starting to do a little dance. And it's that moment that you're free to accept any of the weirdness that's about to happen in the rest of this movie. Yep. Which again, I think is why it is an acquired taste. Yeah. Yeah. So now to the soundtrack of Happy Gilmore. Okay. Obviously, we've got a lot of like classic rock. That, that's songs. kind of Adam Sandler's deal. Yeah. Yeah. So you got Tuesday's Gone. You got you know. Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. <laughs> right. On the ice rink. Right. But the guy who was the like the composer, it's the guy from Devo. It's Mark Mothersbaugh. The, really? Yeah, the guy who wrote Whip It, Whip It Good is is the guy who is the composer for Happy Gilmore. You are blowing my mind. Ah, well, there you go. That's why I'm here. I wow. flagged that, too. He's also responsible for Rugrats. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> wow. That is right, which is a solid soundtrack. I mean, that, they, they have a solid soundtrack on that show. <laughs> I've got kids that are old enough that they would have watched that show back then, and I can remember it. Wow. Since we're talking about soundtrack and sort of sounds... The gopher noises are stock sounds from the TV show Flipper. Dolphin sounds. Dolphins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Them and the uh, the raptors and... Uh, horny dolphins. Horny dolphins. Back to our Park. Jurassic Park episode. <laughs> the sounds that Chevy Chase makes while he's putting the na 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 Yeah. That is from the $6 million man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because he just told me, he's like, you need a sound effect. Now, Chevy came up with that, but it was, yeah, you're totally right. Now that you say it, that's clearly what he's doing. Yeah. Harold Ramis just said, hey, we need some sort of spiritual sound when you make these putts. He pulled that from the $6 million man, which I had no idea. But when I, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, sure. Did you know that? Scott Columbi, the guy who played Denunzio, and Cindy Morgan, who played Lacey, Lacey Enderall, dated for two years after this movie. Do you know who he was dating during this movie? No. Became the wife of one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Valerie Bertinelli. Yes. And so Denunzio and Valerie Bertinelli were dating at the time. That's right. That she comes to visit him. You know, she's doing one day at a time, I think, at this time. Yeah. And she comes down to visit him, and they're like, let's let's sneak out and go to a club. And so it's... Him, her, the really tall, goofy, like you don't see him much just because you don't see the caddies much, but the tall, goofy guy. Right. Um, and some other girl all go out. And the only place they can really find is this country and Western bar. And this <laughs> six foot eight guy decides, you know what? I'm going to change the radio. And so he switches it over to some sort of disco station. <laughs> and like the whole place is like, what just happened? He's like, oh, I just thought we could do some. And they realized they had to get out right away. <laughs> they had to leave. So. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. One thing I, I really have to talk about before we wrap up the final scene for Caddyshack, they're going to blow up the golf course, right? And, and when I say blow up the golf course, they're really going to blow up the golf course. They made a faux green between two fairways. They built it up on a huge pile of explosives. Cindy Morgan says she remembers the day they were pumping in gasoline. So they're like, we don't really have permission to do this, right? They, they had not really discussed this small detail with the members of the golf course. So John Peters is like, I'm going to take care of this. So he takes all the big wigs out to dinner. And while they're out to dinner, a news story comes on the TV and they show these massive fireball explosions. Yeah, one of the pilots called it in as a plane crash. They, they was close to the airport, so they yeah. thought a plane had crashed. And so they stole away all the guys that would give them trouble. 
blew the crap out of the golf course, and you have that fantastic finale where Noonan sinks the birdie putt to win. Right. I understand why they cleared the big wigs out. They did a crime. That's a crime. <laughs> Terrorist yeah. yeah. Okay, so they had to bring in a composer. Obviously, Kenny Loggins is good stuff, but he's not going to fill up a whole movie. So they brought in Johnny Mandel, who is a well-known composer. He did the theme for MASH. He did uh, the Sandpiper, and he did uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. He had done a lot of really great movies, but he was excited most about that scene that you're talking about with the explosions because he was able to pull the old overture of 1812 Tychowski thing. Yeah. And so there you go. Johnny Mandel. Loggins didn't do the classical music. Learn something new every day. Okay, little tidbit. Uh, the scene when the golf ball hits Judge Schmelz in the balls actually happened to Harold Ramis. He said he played golf like three times in his whole life. Happened to him the second time he played golf. Ball hit him in the nuts. And the third time, and then he was done. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. One of the things I thought was funny is the horn that Al Shervik's car makes, that sound. Yeah. Play it right here. Right. That's we're in the money. I never really caught that until yeah. I started looking to it. Yeah. And the only reason I know that is because I watched Looney Tunes as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Who didn't? We're in the money. All right. Let's get to post-production. D, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> so Caddyshack did poorly. Turns out that Doug Kinney was right. Everybody loved Airplane and everybody was either lukewarm, critic-wise, or hated Caddyshack. And it was only because of VHS that the true worth of Caddyshack can be realized. Right. On the other hand, Happy Gilmore was an instantaneous success. It ranked number two, like I said, at the box office on his debut we- weekend. It made on its debut weekend $8.5 million and ultimately made back its budget pretty quickly of $12 million and got a total of $41.2 million worldwide. So, you know, qu- nearly quadrupling your budget is a pretty good response. And it was also a critical success when Caddyshack happened, and it was this kind of weird stringing of vignettes together by this weird gopher thing. I don't think that moviegoers were ready for it yet. By the time we get to Adam Sandler, it's still the same thing. I mean, it's you've got a storyline. It's a better storyline that you have going. I mean, a more coherent storyline that you have going through it. But it is now playing for people who've grown up with Caddyshack and therefore sells better. They're ready for it because of Caddyshack, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Adam, thoughts? Yeah, it's a classic sports movie thing, right? They they don't take that much thought for these madcap sports comedies. Somebody's got to win something. Somebody needs the prize from what they're winning in order to either fulfill a family obligation or, you know, get something of note for them, like patch a relationship back together, etc. So it is following the same pathway. When you break it down equally loose, Gilmore has more room. The antagonist protagonist relationship is a little more towards the forefront because in Caddyshack, You've got Smales and Rodney Dangerfield and also Danny and also Ty Webb. Like there's a lot of people floating around. It's sort of it's easier in Gilmore to have the mano a mano. But at the heart of both, it is the same. It's underdog uh, needs to acquire something via sport. The difference is the familiarity. Noonan knows all about golf. 
uh, Gilmore is learning. And then there are more ancillary pieces in Caddyshack. Okay, real quick thoughts on the antagonist. Our, our buddy Jeff Mazuka of the 30 Something Movie Podcast, who's a good friend of ours, he kind of punted a question to me. He's like, who is the better bad guy? Is it Judge Smells? The most important decision you can make right now is what do you stand for, Danny? <clears throat> Goodness or badness? Or is it Shooter McGavin? You're going to beat me? The golf? <laughs> oh, you're on. You're in big trouble, though, pal. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. I think they are both the features that make this movie. Not that the movie is empty without them, but it lacks a lot if they're not in it. I think that Ted Knight's performance, his delivery of lines that are only kind of funny, making them really funny, and his what is probably genuine reaction to some of the craziness that's going on around him in real life coming through in the screen is the foundation of Caddyshack and why it is so good. Whereas with Christopher McDonald, he's created a character that is so iconic, he has adopted it as himself for the rest of his life. I mean, the the character of Shooter McGavin, despite how despicable he is, is someone who, again, makes this movie. The movie isn't the same without Shooter McGavin in it. I think that the, the bad guys, if you want to call them that in here, are key. And I think it's kind of interesting because with both of them, as big a jerks as they are, you can kind of see where that type of person would be coming from. Like you can kind of see how Judge Smales doesn't want this pristine thing that he loves desecrated, which is why his very first scene is about what's going to happen to this golf course when all when the gophers come in, right? He doesn't want it messed up. And Rodney Dangerfield is like the human gopher that's coming in and ruining what he loves. And it's the same thing with Shooter McGavin, right? Here is this hockey guy, this gutter guy coming in and messing up the pristine sport of professional golf. Like there's a reason they call it a golf clap, right? It's this tiny little tap and everybody's quiet. You know, there's not cheering. There's not beach balls. What's wrong with you people? This is golf. <laughs> Go back know? to your shanties. <laughs> and and so, again, you can see, even as bad as they are, you can kind of see, yeah, I could, you know, if somebody came in, like if you went to my favorite restaurant and you started like having a food fight, I'd be upset. Right. And that's basically what's happening with both of these guys. And they're just trying to protect what they love. You can totally see it when when he's like, you're never going to be a member at Bushwood. And he's like, member? Well, this whole place sucks. And the judge is like, sus, sus, sus. he can't even say, I mean, he's like blown away. This is what he totally loves this course. And, you know, Rodney Dangerfield is so irreverent. He's going to buy the place. You know, how'd you, how'd you like to make $14 the hard way? Oh, you must have been something before electricity. <laughs> Adam, where are you? Bad guy? What's your, what's your bad guy in this one? Yeah, I think you nailed it down to the essence, but I would say that I think Judge Smales' complaint is more justifiable. Like, Rodney Dangerfield is annoying. He is a gnat, <laughs> and he doesn't really belong there. Happy Gilmore is somebody who ostensibly is bringing more viewership to the tour, 
and eventually becomes a champion in many respects. So like that rivalry is more rooted in just like, I don't want to lose. I'm angry. And it's sort of like a, a baby contest. He's like throwing a fit. I understand more why Judge Smales is angry at Rodney Dangerfield's intrusion and presence. Like this is relaxation time. It's not a profession. It's, it's somebody interrupting a place that you love where you're trying to spend your downtime. So in terms of the only way I would be able to compare them is by saying that Shooter McGavin's motivation is slightly less justified just because it kind of paints him as a sore loser and a bad competitor. You know, when when Shooter McGavin invades Happy's happy place, oh. it's so disruptive when he's jumping in, he's going to make out with his girl and, you know, he's going to make out with his grandma, all this stuff. Shooter McGavin, I think, is a is a better more hateable bad guy. Judge Smales is just kind of a stuffy guy. And the part that cracks me up, you know, Judge Smales is so everything in his life has been up to this standard. And then the day that that gopher comes in, because Al Shervik is building condos across the way, it's like the worst day of his life. It's like, do you know what gophers could do to a golf course? And then right. it proceeds to be like the worst three weeks of his life. Destroys his balls. <laughs> destroys his boat <laughs> and destroys his golf course in a much bigger way than the gopher ever could have. So there you go, Jeff. That's our take. Yeah. All right. We're going to put a bow on this time for final judgment. Let's go. Final judgment. Okay. Who, who's going to go first? Adam, why don't you go first? All right. Yeah. Decision time. Ooh, okay. Thank you. The floor is mine. I feel like a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure here. I grew up as I, I, as I continue to say sort of with this joke box mentality and with this era of Saturday Night Live. So I will say that in terms of laugh out loud funniness for me and comfort, I side with Happy Gilmore. I think it's funnier beginning to end, and I think it's funnier on a first watch. That is not to say that I do not have appreciation for what Caddyshack is. And you guys have demonstrated over and over again how quotable it is. We could do another hour. Like, we could get to the whole length of the movie, I think. If, yeah. if I let you guys go, I think you <laughs> But it is an acquired taste, I guess, is right. But it, it's sort of like Caddyshack is the predecessor and the comfort food. And then Happy Gilmore sort of is the evolutionary version for me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Happy. All right. Your turn. Okay. For me, this is the biggest mismatch that we have done so far in all of our episodes. Wow. It is Caddyshack by a hurricane. There was actually a hurricane. I know. It, it disrupted the filming. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. When you have Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray at their peak comedy, just the ensemble and how it works. It is acquired taste and it isn't as slapstick and silly funny and you don't maybe laugh as much. But for me, it's a much more fun ride. It is comfort food. I could watch this improv groundskeeper about to win the master's scene over and over. The gopher has been comfort food for me since I was seven years old. Everything about Caddyshack for me, it is a landslide. Now, Happy Gilmore is funny. I did enjoy it. Adam Sandler cracks me up, but it's Caddyshack landslide really the most quotable movie of all time the most uneven odds of all of the movies that we've done yes including braveheart and gladiator <laughs> yes oh my gosh yes okay so it's it's up to me i'm the tiebreaker here i yeah. think so i'm i'm glad i showed up for this one i, I <laughs> getting okay. in on the wrong side of history voting for walter yeah. mondale over here but <laughs> okay so i i cannot i i'm still kind of baffled that you would say it was a gigantic landslide i mean i can understand you picking caddyshack but to say that it's a landslide is kind of unbelievable to me okay so i have very similar ideas on both of these yes caddyshack 
is a comfort food. Yes, Caddyshack is more quotable. And here's an interesting thing. We'll probably stand the test of time as years go on longer than Happy Gilmore it will. But right now, if I'm if I'm walking out the door and I'm grabbing a DVD or a Blu-ray or I'm finding something on a streaming network that I'm going to sit down and watch, it's going to be Happy Gilmore. Without question, it's going to be Happy Gilmore because it's a more coherent storyline. As we go through, you have more stakes involved with all of the things that are going on, and it's funnier. It is a funnier movie more laugh out loud moments and more even intellectual humor throughout the movie than Caddyshack is. Now, if I'm going to have a movie that's I'm going to have on while I'm working in the house and I don't have to watch the screen, I'd pick Caddyshack over Happy Gilmore because of all of those lines that I have to attribute to nostalgia. Like they've become iconic because of what we've made them, what they were when we were kids, when we were seven, watching with our dad or our brother, whoever. They have those lines that stick with us. But to sit down and watch with a critical eye, which is what I did with both of these movies before we had this podcast, I got to say, Caddyshack really isn't as good as it has become for a first-time watch or for watching with your kids or something like that. So I got to say, Happy Gilmore wins today. Wow. Wow. Well, we want to hear from you guys. Everybody out there, please hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email. Help me get rid of these guests of the Scots. (laughs) And by the way, let me just say, I didn't get to say this. One of the greatest decisions of Caddyshack was to cut as much of that Irish accent girl as they possibly could. I could not figure out why she was in the movie at all. I just thought, did she have to? You can take her out and you have a much better movie without her. And she had dirty feet when they're in bed together and she's laying down. It's supposed to be the sexy scene and her feet are dirty and then she's dancing on the course in a nightgown in the middle of the night because she's not pregnant this is the weirdest part of all of that they were definitely on their cocaine high when they decided to leave any of her bits in but anyway yes please hit us up on facebook at shirley podcast twitter at shirley podcast shirley podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us some ideas Or if you feel like buying Jason or I a cup of coffee, you could get executive producer status. Just go to our Patreon page. Executive producer, you could get gifts that we are still giving out to people depending on the donation level that they give. But we want to say thank you to those of our dear friends. And they have become dear friends. Our Patreon subscribers have become our dear friends that we communicate with almost on a daily basis. So thank you very much to those guys. If you'd like to join our fun little family, hit us up on Patreon as well. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. We had a blast hanging out with you. Tell us where we can find you. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to do it. Happy to be the deciding vote, I guess, ultimately. That was scary for a while. I thought I was going to get <laughs> lambasted and, and thrown off the show forever, but that was great. You can find Boardfire. You can find us on the Fan Side of Network. Uh, you can find us at Sportfire Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, having a good time over there. Uh, new apps drop every Thursday. Yanks Go Yard podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you want to hear my misery, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Weinrib. I guess I was early to Twitter and I just got my name. I've never had numbers in a screen name as long as wow. I've lived. So hopefully we'll keep that streak going. But I would love to interact with you all. Uh, please come find me. Awesome. Thank awesome. you. Thank you so much for joining us, Adam. We really appreciate you being here, man. Total pleasure. This was a great battle. Okay. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. (laughs) (laughs) 